0: Governor Doug Ducey is winding down his second term, which means candidates are revving up to replace him. The primary election on August 2nd, 2022 is coming up fast. Eight contenders are looking to take his seat.
1: But who could that replacement be? Former television news anchor turned pro-Trump GOP candidate Carrie Lake has gained a lot of support right out of the gate, including the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. Other Republicans, like Matt Salmon, are looking for another shot at political office. On the Democratic side, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs is the party front-runner. But Marco Lopez has experience in former President Barack Obama's administration that could make him attractive to some voters. And Aaron Lieberman just announced he was retiring from the state house to focus on his gubernatorial bid.
0: Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm Yvonne Wingett Sanchez with Ron Hansen. With less than a year until the primary, we're taking a look at the gubernatorial frontrunners and where they stand on key issues.
1: For that, the gaggle turns to Stacey Barchinger, one of the Arizona Republic's state politics reporters. Stacy is new to the Arizona Republic, but will be keeping a close eye on this race as it unfolds over the next 11 months. Stacey, welcome to the show.
0: Let's start with analyzing the Republican field. Former Fox 10 News host Carrie Lake has positioned herself as perhaps the most Trump-friendly candidate in the field. She received huge applause at Trump's rally earlier this summer. She's been super outspoken about opposing mask mandates, and she's been very supportive of the review of the 2020 elections here in Maricopa County. Give us a sense of what her platform
2: is what her chances look like this far out. Sure. Well, um, I don't think we need to say maybe she's the most outspoken in terms of embracing Trump at this point. She is the Trump candidate. Um, whether you're looking at her her website or her social media presence, it's her and Trump and her and Trump. Um, early polling, you know, we're 10 and a half, 11 months out, is certainly in her favor, her campaign thinks she can really keep up this momentum over the next several months, um, but you know there's lots of time for things to change. Other GOP candidates in the race, I would I would say, are banking on her sort of fizzling out um, before we do get to the primary. Um, and, you know, interestingly, she is the only one on the GOP side who has embraced Trump and said that she believes he won the presidential election last year here in Arizona, um, which we can talk more about later. But it really sets her apart from these other candidates, even in her own party.
1: Candidate Carrie Lake has gotten the biggest endorsement on the Republican side from former President Donald Trump. Stacy, it's not really a surprise that she got this coveted backing but what does this really do for her candidacy?
2: I would back up just a little bit to paint the picture of how this all went down, right? So the, the former president was on a conservative radio show, and he says he's going to be issuing an endorsement in the Arizona governor's race in a couple of days. And this is happening as the Senate audit report was being made public. And by this point, he had been to Phoenix and seen that Carrie Lake got the loudest applause um, during his visit. She very much is a candidate that, I think, made herself in in his image a little bit, some of the same language that he used in 2015. Um, and so, yeah, late September, he gives her his complete and total endorsement, mentions specifically um, that she's going to fight to restore election integrity both past and future, with an exclamation point. Um, she's the only, the only candidate who's really said she thinks this election was uh, stolen from the president. So, yeah, not a surprise that she, she got his support. One of the interesting things I've noticed is this endorsement has sort of shifted Carrie Lake's language. Ahead of the endorsement, she was talking a lot about Matt Salmon as her com- competitor in the primary election, Since the endorsement, she's talking a lot about Katie Hobbs as her front-runner candidate, the person she's really competing with. So
0: one of the biggest knocks that there seems to be out there on Carrie Lake from conservatives is that uh, her husband donated money to former President Barack Obama. How does she neutralize that attack and... um, you know, do, does anyone really even care about financial giving in, in this era?
2: Well, yeah, that's a great question. Um, we've already seen a PAC that supports another candidate, Matt Salmon, also a Republican, use that donation trying to attack Carrie Lake. And certainly as she's the front runner, you know, we are going to see these other candidates come after her. Um You know, Salmon's Pack debuted debuted this website called fakelake.com or .org. um, And it's all about how she or her family gave to a Democrat but hasn't given to Trump. And now she's out there very publicly embracing Trump. Um, I guess it's up to voters to decide what matters there. But certainly this is going to be an issue we'll see over the next several months.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, but President Trump gave to Democrats, too. Right.
1: I believe that's right. So. okay. So speaking of Matt Salmon, once upon a time, it seems like a former congressman and a former Republican gubernatorial nominee uh, might be the kind of candidate that would seem to be the front runner in a race like this. Uh, That doesn't seem the way that this race is unfolding. He has some important endorsements, But especially after the early reception for Kerry Lake, there are questions about whether his moment has passed. What's his campaign doing to inject some energy into this race and trying to, you know, repackage Matt Salmon to a a new generation?
2: Sure. So, um, you know, like we had just been talking about, we saw this um, attack ad against Kerry Lake. I think that was the first one of this campaign cycle, um, at least in terms of gubernatorial candidates. I think that's probably a signal that there's more to come from Salmon and his supporters in terms of being really out there um, and challenging, you know, Carrie Lake, who is on Twitter all the time and, you know, producing these really like High quality videos. Um, I would say, you know, I just went to a campaign kickoff event for another candidate, who we can talk about in a little bit. But I was talking to former Governor Fife Symington, and I asked why he supported Karen Taylor Robeson and you know what he thought of the other candidates in the race. And this is exactly what he said: Matt Salmon is a good guy, but he's had his day. It's time for a fresh, a fresh candidate. And I think that's something that Salmon is going to have to really um, understand that voters might feel that way as well and really put himself out there to overcome it.
1: So Matt seems to be eager to have his supporters or himself talking about Kerry Lake. Is he talking about his own track record, especially post-Congress, uh, working as a lobbyist for Arizona State?
2: Yeah, somewhat. Um, you know, his campaign my sense of it so far is he's really kind of out and about on the ground. Last weekend, he was, um, you know, he went to the Mojave County Fair. He was at a Constitution Day celebration in Queen Creek. So I think he's, you know, kind of trying to get the word out to, um, you know, folks in his own party about he's, you know, he's still around. He still is a good candidate. um, You know, and he's expecting or hoping um, to get those votes. So he is also knocking his old employer,
0: Arizona State University, which is drawing um, interest from people who used to work with him. And um, it'll be interesting to see how they use his credentials in these campaign ads, particularly um, when it comes to some of his very specific lobbying work and um, anything related to China. Meanwhile, former Board of Regents member Karen Taylor Robson, who you just referenced, is in the race. She is probably a little bit more similar to Governor Doug Ducey than some of these other candidates. She's clearly very business-focused, and in her campaign video, she vowed to fight for Arizona's values. She really sort of played up how this state perhaps gave her some opportunities that she might not have had elsewhere. Does her more moderate approach stand a chance in this era where Trump dominates all and, you know, fiscal conservatism and, you know, some of those old sort of old school values um, might not be weighed as heavily
2: as they once were? So I know that I'm here to answer the questions, but this is actually a question that I have. And one of the things I'm really interested to see play out over the next 10 months, um, you know, Karen Taylor Robeson's campaign is a bit more traditional when you look at it in the sense of how Trump just changed everything in 2016. She's just not quite as out there as some of the, you know, Carrie Lake has been, um, but she is a Trump supporter and she does highlight that when, whenever given the opportunity, um, you know, in her early campaign materials, she's pledged to finish the border wall, which is certainly a Trump talking point that we saw. Um you know, an interesting piece is she has several ties to Governor Doug Ducey. He appointed her to the Board of Regents. Um, but so far, um, we have seen her sort of distance herself from that, um, you know, in early campaigns. She's not talking about being a Ducey appointee. In fact, she's not mentioning him at all. Um She does have endorsements from, you know, two former governors, Fife Symington and Jan Brewer. um, And we'll see uh, what that means to the public over the next couple of months.
1: Okay, so there are two other relatively low profile Republican candidates worth noting here. That's Jorge Rivas and State Treasurer Kimberly Yee. What are their chances of breaking through? What do they have to do? Is there any, any path that seems uh, plausible for them to sort of uh, appear on the radar more prominently?
2: Well, I think we need to see them get their names out there a little bit more. Um, you know, uh, Jorge Rivas is um, known by some. Um, he is a restaurant owner, uh, owns Sammy's Mexican Grill down by Tucson. He uh, won some praise from Trump last year. Um, After, you know, just basically like he was an outspoken supporter of President Trump. But then there was so much backlash that Trump kind of threw him threw him a bone, I guess, and kind of endorsed his restaurant. Um, So I think he's banking on that, helping his campaign. um, But he has no political experience, um, which is certainly an uphill battle. Um, And of course, Kimberly Yee is following in Governor Ducey's footsteps, hoping to go from treasurer to governor. Um, And she's made some, you know, higher profile moves, you know, divesting from Ben and Jerry's that was boycotting Israel. Um, But I think both of these candidates have a lot of work to do to make sure that Arizona's 4.3 million voters know their names.
0: All right. So Carrie Lake seems to be, as of yet, clear front runner. We uh, don't know yet if that will hold. Switching over to the Democratic side, the clear front runner there seems to be Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. She's raising lots of money. She's forged a national profile after the 2020 election. And it seems that the Democratic Party, not just here in Arizona, but nationally, is really sort of banking on her. Do you have a sense as to whether she'll be able to flip that gubernatorial seat in what is expected to be a reasonably favorable environment for Republicans?
2: Yeah, so that's um, you know interesting to note. It's a midterm race. You don't have a president at the top of the ticket. So generally would expect turnout to be a little bit lower, which given the, the numbers here in Arizona, uh, I take as an uphill battle for Democrats. Um, But she certainly has raised her profile. She's all over national media talking about the 2020 election here in Arizona. And she's, um, you know, very clear that there was no fraud and it was a good election. We'll see how that how her profile, um, you know, impacts this campaign as it goes forward. Um, And I've talked to some Republican operatives who think she like really has a shot at winning next year. And these are people who have been here in Arizona much longer than me. So I I take their word with a grain of salt. But who knows?
1: Okay, so there are two other uh, names for Democrats. Uh, One of them is Representative Aaron Lieberman. The other is Marco Lopez, the former mayor of Nogales. Is there much chance either of these candidates uh, can win over Democratic voters uh, in the time they have?
2: I think it'll be hard to take on uh, Katie Hobbs and her regular appearances on national TV. Um, you know, she's really in that way introduced herself to Arizonans um, and donors from out of state and money matters in politics. Um, you know, and I don't think that that opportunity has really materialized yet for Representative Lieberman Um, You know, Marco Lopez uh, worked in the Obama administration, which certainly will play well for some voters. Um, But there's a lot of work to be done. And, you know, as we talked about briefly before, Lieberman just resigned his seat in the legislature to work on this campaign full time. So I think we'll see more from him um, coming up soon. One of the big challenges
0: I think Hobbs is going to have is um, her history of supporting Pretty progressive policies during her time at the state legislature. Do you have a sense as to how she, again, going back to neutralize, like how do you, how does she sell that um, to moderate Republicans and independents um, if she wants to, you know, follow in the steps of winning a statewide race with someone like
2: Kirsten Cinema in 2018? Yeah, well, I think she's taking a much more cautious approach now, which certainly you would expect, but. You know, just looking at these candidates from what they make publicly available to, say, a voter who isn't going to, like, dig through their history, there's a lot of similarities. Like Katie Hobbs and Matt Salmon, different parties, but they both want to make education better um, to make better jobs, which if you're not going to dig into what that really means, um, you know, and you're a voter that's strapped for time, that reads to be this. That's the same. Right. So I think. My sense is that she is trying to be a little bit more moderate now.
0: The main issues shaping up on the statewide races um, seem to be election integrity, defined as you want, (laughs) Um, illegal immigration and border security, always a mainstay, management of the COVID pandemic and its effect on schools, education, jobs, the way we live, and of course, the candidates' closeness to the Republican standard bearer, Donald Trump. Give us your sense of how the candidates on the Republican side are really sort of navigating these issues and where you see the big sort of themes emerging within those issues heading into 22.
2: Yeah, sure. So there are, you know, there are some things that the GOP candidates have in common. I've heard from every one of them that they're gonna push back against the Biden administration um, as much as they can. They want to do more to limit immigration and lock down the border. Um, but there are some intricacies um You know, Karen Taylor Robeson wants to finish the border wall, which is a pretty strong stance to take. Carrie Lake um, features her burning a mask. Um, So we definitely know where she's at on COVID policy and COVID restrictions. Um, One really interesting thing is, you know, where they stand on what happened here in Arizona last year and the election. Um, Carrie Lake thinks Trump won and, um, you know, she is the most outspoken on that point. Um, other candidates and I asked them. I asked all the campaigns to tell me what they what they think of the ongoing audit and who won, and I got all sorts of non answers. Um, but this is I, this is something I think they're going to have to address at some point. The majority of Republicans in the state do think there was fraud, and so I have a hard time seeing a Republican candidate get the nomination without addressing that.
1: There's one other issue that seems to be on the Republican agenda this cycle anyway, and that is running against the media. Um, Carrie Lake is a former member of the media and has made no bones about her contempt for what she sees as the current state of political coverage and such. Uh, Others have sort of joined in in very Trump-like fashion, going after what they view as liberal elites um, making... um, uh, light of issues that are near and dear to conservatives, give us a sense of how this is playing out. Is this people just trying to catch up to Kerry Lake? Is there any method to the madness? What what is the what is the end game here?
2: I mean, my sense is you see this as a talking point that has played well on the national scale and so it's trickling down into the races here um yes it's trying to catch up with Carrie Lake um but I was in the room with Karen Taylor Robeson when she you know took a little a little jab at the media and there was this sort of like lukewarm applause and like not only is that awkward to be the reporter in the room but it was also weird like I'm not sure that 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 sentiment was really there, like that gusto was behind it. So um, I guess maybe it's hard to say. What are the big issues shaping up on the Democratic side? Is it much the same? Are there
0: other issues?
2: Well, I think it's, you know, you've seen a lot of talk about election integrity. And as you referenced earlier, that is defined totally differently depending on what side of the aisle you're on and and sometimes even on one side. but so, um, you know, uniformly, the trio of Democrats that are kind of out there running for the nomination um, say there was no fraud, Biden won the election. Um, I think they want to work to like reinvigorate sort of confidence in elections, given what the last six months have been. Um, but yeah, none of them are embracing, you know, very progressive policies because that just doesn't work in a state like Arizona. Um, even though it's, you know, somewhere in this political transformation, um, I think going too far left is uh, not gonna help these candidates at all. So other than voting rights and the election last year, we've really seen the Democrats talk about expanding care, treating COVID as a safety issue and creating jobs. But it's been pretty generic to this point. We're not seeing a lot of specifics or plans for how they would um, address those issues.
0: You've joined the Arizona Republic uh, from New Jersey. And in some ways, you're a lot like a lot of Arizona voters. You are a new transplant. What strikes you as unusual or typical, I guess I should say, um, about the state of play in this race?
2: Yeah, well, so first, the states are political opposites. Um, Democrats are in power in New Jersey, and of course, Republicans are the majority here. Um, but more so, I've seen the split in the Republican Party here. Um, I think it mirrors the national landscape, but you have sort of this traditional and establishment Republicans and then these, um, these folks who support Trump and are very like far right. Um, and it's a really interesting dynamic between these, what I consider, two Republican parties. Um, and, you know, I'm interested to see who who becomes the majority in the primary, who takes control in the primary.
1: Okay, Stacey, let's try and cut to the chase here. Um, give us a sense, as we record this now in the fall of 2021, uh, which of these Republican contenders seems to be more likely to appeal to a broader slice of the electorate a year from now, uh, likely it seems against Katie Hobbs as the world looks today?
2: I think so far we've seen Karen Taylor Robson and Matt Salmon take conservative but careful approaches to the campaign. My sense is they're thinking of the general election when they do that. Um, You know, like we talked about the audit and election fraud are very important and they have to be addressed, but going too far right might alienate some of those independent voters. So I think that's a long-term thought process or long-term strategy um, that we will see come up uh, many months from now when it's general election time. Um, Those two candidates, of course, have a lot of work to do um, in terms of getting their names out there with the public. sooner rather than later what about on the democratic side i think there's a battle happening over there about who can come out the strongest and say there was no fraud and our election was good and biden won um like we talked about a little bit ago katie hobbs is the front runner here and if you look at her campaign it's really focused on her job as secretary of state ensuring that the election was fair and secure. Um, And I think she's taking on issues that are pretty safe and that have an appeal to moderate voters. Like we talked about some similarities between her campaign platform and Matt Salmon's. Again, they're both very broad sweeping ideas at this point, Um, but I think it's a shift more towards the middle than where she has been in the past.
1: Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, Stacy. Where can listeners find you on Twitter to keep up with your work?
2: Sure. I'm on Twitter at S. Barchinger. It's S-B-A-R-C-H-E-N-G-E-R.
0: All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. We have the main players on the boards, We have a sense of some of the key issues that they're running on. But between now and July 2nd, when early voting begins, and I cannot believe I'm even saying that again, what are you expecting out of the next few months, Ron? Please say sleep.
1: Uh, I, I would take some, that's for sure. You know, I think that on the Republican side, it seems that uh, everyone is trying to figure out how they can cut into Carrie Lake's dominance in the early running here. And I think that the thing that probably has to be most alarming if you are in one of those other campaigns right now is just that Carrie Lake has uh, really sort of uh, gotten closest to Donald Trump, it seems like. And if the biggest knock against her is what she or her spouse did many years ago uh, in supporting Barack Obama and moving toward Donald Trump in the years since, I don't know that that's disqualifying in the eyes of a lot of conservative voters. So what then becomes the attack line? I think there's a real challenge and especially with somebody who is so fresh to the political scene, boy, she doesn't have a record to run against other than that, I guess. Uh, Yvonne, you covered Governor Ducey's rise. Uh, That just seems like a different era now than where we are entering this 22 cycle.
0: Yeah. And talk about disqualifying. I think one of the things that might be disqualifying is having his support or endorsement, um, at least in a uh, Republican primary. We've all seen him, you know, sort of get booed um, at Trump rallies and off the stage at the at Republican gatherings, so it'll be really interesting to see how he um, plays at, if at all, in this race. Sometimes he'll, you know, stay on the sidelines and say he's not going to get involved in primaries. But giving um, giving this seat up is something clearly he does not want to see.
1: It seems notable that Doug Ducey's other gig is heading the Republican Governors Association right now. That's a job that's supposed to be about trying to grow the Republican uh, governorships all across the country. And yet there's a big question hanging over what his role will be in the state he currently governs. What role will he play in this Republican governor's primary or in the general election moving forward?
0: Well, he's been pretty clear that he is going to um, be raising a lot of money He's going to be trying to keep as many uh, Republican seats as possible and to flip as many seats as possible. So I would presume that we will um, see him not get involved in a primary race, but try to hold on to the governorship um, heading into the general election. This is a seat that Republicans cannot afford to win. We have seen um, some pretty big devastating losses. with statewide races, including two U.S. Senate seats. And we have seen how that has worked out over the past couple of cycles. So I would anticipate all of his attention will be on the RGA and um, making sure that uh, the governorship stays in the red zone. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Before you go, please rate and review our show and share this episode with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget.
1: And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Liberto. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.
0: You can also follow this show and other Arizona Republic podcasts like Valley 101 on Twitter at Podcasts. For The Gaggle, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. We'll see you next week.